0: Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: God's doing a lot more than we realize, and a lot of times it's not that God's not doing stuff, it's that we're dull of hearing and our sight is dull because we're spiritually dull. So we should believe in miracles, we should expect miracles, we should ask the Lord to sensitize us to the work of the Spirit so we can see what he's doing. But then remember that the miracle is ultimately a platform for the gospel.
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Acts. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Acts, chapter 3, verses 1 through 26, in a message titled, Wonders, Signs, and the Gospel. here's Pastor Brian.
1: We must repent and be converted. That is more or less the same message that was preached over and over again. Sometimes the context was a little different, so the side points maybe were a little bit different. Uh, Here, Peter's preaching to not only a Jewish audience, but here Peter's actually preaching to people who were personally guilty of sentencing Jesus to death. In other places, especially when we get into Paul's ministry, you find that much of Paul's preaching is in more of a Gentile context. So he addresses that in its context. But my point is this, that there were basically, these were the things always that were there in the preaching of the apostolic gospel. Christ died and rose again. Our sins put him on the cross. We must repent and be converted. So let's just look at that real quick here. So as the lame man, verse 11 who was healed, held on to Peter and John. All the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though we, by our own power godliness, had made this man walk? And here he goes, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, listen, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead. So you see what he does? He talks about the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and he points to their culpability in the whole matter here. So the gospel is first of all that Christ died. That is the gospel. Christ died. But why did Christ die? He died for our sins. You see, our sins are the problem. And we'll we'll get to that a little further uh, in the message. But, the, you know, all of the problems in the world today can be traced back to one thing, sin. And sin at its root is what has separated us from God or sin as its root is is you know turning to our own way but that has resulted in a separation from God and that is the the root source of all of the problems in the world so Christ died because of our sins for our sins he died to pay the penalty for our sins but he rose again showing that the payment that he made for our sins was accepted and showing that he has victory over sin and the grave But Peter, notice how he really makes it clear their culpability. Now, every one of us, every single person here, every person listening, every one of us, it can be said accurately that we put Jesus on the cross. Jesus died on that cross because of our sins. But in a sense, we could, in comparison, at least to the group here, you know, we, we might say we, we indirectly did. I mean, you know, it was our sins that put him there. But in the case here, if you notice, these people really like literally put Jesus on the cross. So apparently in this crowd that Peter is preaching to, this is fascinating to me, in this crowd that Peter's preaching to, there are people that were there on that day standing before Pilate. And when Pilate was saying, do you want me to give you Jesus Or do you want me to give you Barabbas? Some in this crowd said, we don't want Jesus. Do away with him. Crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Peter is saying, you did that. So he's telling them. So this group of people here, these are people who directly put Jesus on the cross. But notice what Peter's doing. He's appealing to them to repent so they can be saved. So here's something that's amazing. So the very people that put Jesus on the cross can be forgiven. And of course, that's for those who put them on directly, but for us who put them on indirectly in that sense that we weren't there that day shaking our fist, but it was our sins. Of course, it was for our sins that Jesus went to the cross anyway. You know, we're living in a time again where sin is really an unpopular concept and You know, we understand why the culture doesn't want to hear about sin, but the problem is when the church says, well, you know, we don't want to really talk about sin because that's offensive to people. We better talk about sin because if we don't talk about sin, we can't really truly talk about salvation because salvation is salvation from the consequences of sin. And if we take sin out of the picture, then what do we even need to be saved for? You know, nobody's gonna ask for a savior that doesn't see themselves as in trouble. I only want deliverance if I recognize that I am in a perilous place. And so Peter, with all of the boldness that you can imagine, I mean, think about this. He's talking to those very people and he is not holding back at all. He's saying, you took Jesus and you asked for a murderer. And you killed the prince of life, but God raised him from the dead. And so we today, from generation to generation, we cannot be afraid to address the issues of sin, the issues of sin in our culture today. And, you know, it's becoming more and more a problem to do this. And more and more people are not wanting to even have it suggested that their behavior is sinful. And they're doing everything from, you know, sometimes personally attacking people who are suggesting that to trying to get, uh, you know, legislation against anybody doing that. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's an intense time. And yet we can't hold back. We can't draw back. We certainly have to be wise when we talk about these things. But nevertheless, we can't Refrain from talking about the reality of sin and sin putting Jesus on the cross because that is the only way somebody can be saved is if they recognize I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Now, Peter then calls for repentance and conversion. And so, verse 19, repent therefore and be converted. So, what does it mean to repent? Well, here's what it does not mean repent does not mean go now and get your life together, go clean up your act. And once you did that, then come back and let God know you got it all cleaned up and then he will accept you and he will allow you to be part of his kingdom. That's not repentance. But some, some people present repentance that, in a way that it kind of seems like that's what it is. Repent means, okay, get, get yourself sorted out that you can come to God. No, the word repent means Simply to have a change of thinking, a change of mind, actually. Metanoia is the Greek word, and noia is mind, and meta is have a different mind. So we're to have a change of thinking that then results in a a change of direction, if you will. So really, repentance is turning, it's turning to God. Now, Isaiah put it like this. He said, all we like sheep have gone astray. Listen, we have turned everyone to his own way. This is the problem. This is what sin really is at its root. You know what sin is at its root? It's turning to your own way. It's refusing to do things God's way. It's refusing to believe God's word. It's refusing to live the way God says to live. Everyone has turned to his own way. So repentance is turning away from our own way and turning to God. Now, repent and be converted. Now, here's the wonderful thing. God calls us to repentance. He gives us the grace to repent And so as we turn to him, he meets us with his spirit and we are then converted. Conversion means that we are regenerated. We are given a new life. So what Peter's talking about here is not simply outward stuff like, like church attendance. Some people say, well, you know, I... I didn't go to church for a lot of years, but now I go to church. Or some people would say, well, you know, I used to behave like this, but I don't behave like that anymore. Now I do these kinds of things. Now, granted, repentance and conversion would certainly lend itself to, you know, being in church and, and not living a certain way, but that's not really what it is. Those are the byproducts of it. Repentance And conversion are you turning to God and God's spirit coming inside of you and giving you a new life. Conversion is regeneration. It's a new life. It's a spiritual life. It's something that happens from within you by the spirit of God. So that's what the apostolic gospel was. Christ died and rose again. Those are the facts. He did so for our sins And we are to repent and be converted. And now the results are, number one, that your sins may be blotted out. Your sins may be blotted out. Like I said earlier, this is the problem. So like Isaiah said in Isaiah 59, God's ear is not dull that he can't hear you. And his arm is not short that he can't help you. But your sins have separated you from God. So see, this is the problem. Sin has built an impenetrable barrier between us and God. Sin has built like a, a wall that's, that's so thick, it cannot be penetrated. And it's so high, it cannot be scaled. And what we need to have is that wall of sin removed. And that's what the gospel does. The gospel, it just blows that wall to bits. It blows out that obstacle that's keeping us from a relationship with God, that thing that's keeping us back from experiencing God's uh, saving arm. So he says, repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. That's what happens. All of those sins, God blots them out. He erases them, in other words, and now you have a clean slate. Because, of course, Jesus died for those. He paid the penalty of those things that we committed. And now, since the penalty has been paid, they are removed. And now we can come to God. But the second thing that results is times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. I just like this phrase. I love it. Times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Just think with me for a second about just a time of refreshing that you might have had. A time where maybe you, you exercised or you played a sport or you worked hard and, man, you just couldn't wait to get to that thirst-quenching drink, whatever it might have been. And, you know, it, you were refreshed. You just think, oh, this, this is just so refreshing. Well, that's the way Peter describes us here is so beautiful, times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Or you know how it is on a hot day where just suddenly there's a cool breeze that blows and it just does something where you're just like, oh, that's great. That's so nice. Sometimes when I would find myself on these runs, these long runs, and I would you know, get to the end of the run, it might be the middle of the day, it might be like 85 or 90 degrees or something and just in my, you know, my shoes and everything, I just go to the shower on the beach and just hit that thing and just stand under it. And just, you know, for 10 minutes, I'm just, I'm getting refreshed from that. And so we know what that is, right? From the, just experientially, we know what times of refreshing are, but this is refreshing from the presence of the Lord. This is that same kind of experience that we have physically, but it's a spiritual thing. It's something where we just feel renewed. We feel reinvigorated. And those are actually ways that you could translate the word as well. But notice too that it's times of refreshing from the Lord's presence. Because remember, what happens is when our sins are blotted out, then we're brought into the presence of the Lord. And that's what we need more than anything. Years ago, I did a study on the presence of the Lord. And through that teaching, I realized that, you know, That's really what we want more than anything. And that's what I pray for, even for our church, even for our gatherings. It's like, Lord, all that really matters is that you are present with us. Because when a person walks into the presence of the Lord, there's something so beautiful about that. There's something so refreshing. And that's what the promise is. Times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And then finally, this is in verse 26, to you first, God, having raised up his servant, Jesus sent him to bless you in turning every one of you away from your iniquities. So the third result is blessing. And notice that the blessing is due to the fact that we've been turned away from our iniquities. So I'm coming back around to what I said before. Sin is the cause of all of our trouble. Sin is the reason for all of our miseries. And what Jesus has done through his death and resurrection and what God does for us through the gospel, he separates us from our iniquities. And that is a blessing. You know, that, that's the blessing. When you think of the misery that sin puts us in, and I think of people. I can think of myself, obviously. I can think of my life before I was a believer, and how yes, it was you know a lot of misery, and it was all self-inflicted because it was due to the sin that I was living in. But but I can think of people that I've met over the years, people that I've counseled with, or uh, you know just people that I've conversed with, or people whose testimonies I've heard, and to see the blessing on their life, and and to hear. In contrast to that, the, the misery that they were in when they were in their sin. They might have been in misery in a prison cell. They were there because of their sin. They might have been in misery to a drug addiction because they, you know that was part of their sin. They might have been in misery because of a, a conflict or something, but it all goes back to sin. And so this is what the gospel does. It brings us a blessing by delivering us from our sin. So that's what the gospel's meant to do. You know, the, the gospel was not meant to comfort us in our sin, like, hey, I know you're in sin. It's okay, don't worry. The good news is God still loves you. Well, God does love us even in our sin, but guess what? He wants to get us out of our sin because he wants his love to be experienced. He wants the blessing and the benefit that he intended to come to us. And that comes when we are disconnected from our sin. Not remaining in it. So he sent him to bless every one of you and turning you away from your iniquity. So that's what the gospel did. That's how Peter appealed to them then. And that's what the gospel does today. So, three things we should believe in miracles, they are real. We should expect miracles. Because why not? Like I pointed out, we are just a continuation of this story. So here it is. It starts right here. We're in the early stages of of the story of the Spirit sending the church out into the world with the gospel. So we're still in the story. We're way down there now in the story. But we're in the story. And it's a story of the miraculous power of Christ still at work through his church. So we should not only believe that there are miracles, we should expect them are we expecting God to work? Or are we just not even intentionally, but maybe just sort of subtly buying into the, well, I don't know if miracles really, um, haven't really seen a miracle. You know, here's the truth. God's doing a lot more than we realize. And a lot of times, it's not that God's not doing stuff. It's that we're dull of hearing and our sight is dull because we're spiritually dull. So... We should believe in miracles. We should expect miracles. We should ask the Lord to sensitize us to the work of his spirit so we can see what he's doing. But then remember that the miracle is ultimately a platform for the gospel. So as we hear about things and as we see things happening, that we would use that as the opportunity to say, hey, listen, let me tell you about Jesus who died and rose again for our sins so that we could experience our sins being blotted out and times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord and blessing because we're separated from those things. Let's look for those opportunities. Now, in closing, finally, going back to the the story of the man himself. The lame man, he thought he needed silver and gold. And I'm absolutely sure that when you know, Peter locked his, his eyes on this man and said, silver and gold have I none. The guy probably went, oh, great. What is this guy gonna say, you know? He, he wants the silver and gold. That's what he needs. Peter says, I don't have any. Okay, well, what does he have? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What? <laughs> rise up and walk. I, I, I don't think he was expecting that. But that's what he really needed. You know, had Peter given him money, well, he would have taken it and just like other people had given him money and he would have used it and then he would have been right back out there the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day doing the same thing. But his real need was not for money. His real need was for Jesus. And this is true for you and for me and for everyone else. You know, Everybody thinks they know what everybody else needs, and people think they know what they need, but the truth is what everybody needs is the Lord. people need the lord you you can get you can get money, you can get all the money. you know we think of like you know, government programs and things and, you know, the, the constant, you know, we need more money. We got to put more money into this thing. And, you know, it's like just dumping the money down a bottomless pit. Nothing ever really changes. The money goes, but nothing else really changes. Because money doesn't solve pro- those kinds of problems. And and whether it's money or something else that we think, you know, even with this man, no, I want you to notice this. Yes, he was physically healed. That's a wonderful thing. But that wasn't what he was leaping and praising about because he was leaping and praising God what's implied in that is that he's had an encounter with the Lord because we surely can't think that the answer to everybody's problem is just that they get healed of their condition because there are plenty of people that don't even have the condition who are just as miserable as the person with the condition You know, if this guy had for one moment thought that, you know, if I could just walk, I would be the happiest person in the world. All he had to do was look around and recognize that, well, that doesn't all these people are walking around. They're not happy. (laughs) So there's something beyond it. There's something deeper. And Peter, of course, he knows that. And that's why he's there. He's there to tell this man That there's something greater than silver and gold there's something even greater than healing it's Jesus Christ of Nazareth and so that again is our that's our hope that's what we have experienced and and this is what we have to offer to the world You know, sometimes people say, oh, you Christians, you know, you just talk about people needing salvation and you don't care about anything else, which isn't true. You know, hospitals, schools, help for the poor, all, you know, who's done that historically? The Christians have done it. That's just the reality. Don't, if you want to argue about it, just go read history and you'll find that I'm right and you're wrong. (laughs) The atheists didn't start the hospitals. I'm sorry. They didn't start the universities. They didn't start anything. They just hijacked it all. No, the Christians did it the people who believed in God, the people who had compassion. But you know, we hear that sometimes. Oh, you Christians, you know, you just care about, and you don't care about this. No, we care about that. But we also know that those are just temporary fixes. And yes, you can, you can give money, and we do give money. And you can give aid, and we do give aid. And you can give assistance, and we do give assistance. But at the end of the day, if the man doesn't come to know Jesus, then he's just a walking miserable man instead of a sitting miserable man. Jesus is the answer. The gospel is the answer. A relationship with God is the answer. And let's not forget that.
0: For the month of March, Back to Basics Radio is offering a timely resource titled One Minute Answers to Skeptics by Charlie Campbell. Has a skeptic in your life ever stumped you with questions regarding God, social ethics, or supposed contradictions in the Bible? Well, with this book, One Minute Answers to Skeptics, concise responses to the top 50 objections and questions by Charlie Campbell, you can be equipped to address the questions of skeptics on those exact topics and many others. If you want to be equipped to always be ready to give a defense of the faith, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you,